Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn with us to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse number 46. Luke chapter 6, verse number 46. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. I'm going to read three verses in the New Living Translation. And this is what it says. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? Jesus is talking. He says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I think of that every time somebody with a Jesus is Lord bumper sticker cuts me off in traffic. (laughs) Why do you call him Lord, Lord, when you don't even obey the laws of the land? Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house that digs deeps and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. Verse 49. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. On Sunday mornings, we have been ministering and teaching on the subject of being aware and being prepared for the storms of life. Being aware and being prepared for the storms of life. And in this study, we've learned a few principles, and they are this. Number one. The storms of life happen to everyone. The storms of life happen to everyone. In the last couple of weeks, I've received texts and emails said, Pastor, you're right, the storm has come. The storm hit my family last night. The storm hit our job. The storm hit my business. Somebody wrote me this week and said, Pastor, the storm has hit. I've uh, been released from my job. I wasn't expecting it. I've been downsized and it got me. The storms of life happen to everyone. And being a Christian does not exempt us from the storms of life. I wished it did. I wished you could become a member of this church and never have to expect anything bad to happen. I wished you and I could pray the sinner's prayer and all of a sudden life would be wonderful from that moment on. But it doesn't work that way. Look what Jesus said. We've talked about this verse. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33. How many of you brought your Bibles? John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus is saying. He says, I've told you these things. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. The word tribulation means things that cause pressure. It literally comes from the Greek word distress. In the world, you're going to have things that's going to cause you pressure. You're going to have distress. You're going to have things that go wrong. You're going to have difficulty. Jesus said it. In the world, things are going to happen that way. So we've learned that the storms of life come to everyone. The second principle we've learned is this. If you wait till the storm comes to prepare, you've waited too long. The challenge of storm preparation is that you must prepare for it when you don't need it. You get ready for it now. Why are we saving money? I remember when my children were younger, I'd say, we can't do that. We're going to save some money. Well, why are we saving money? Dad, we've got the money to do this. Why are we saving money? Because there might come a day when a situation arises that I need the money that I'm going to spend on frivolity today. I might need it for something important next year. That's the reason we save money. In other words, the challenge of storm preparation is simply that you must prepare for it when you don't need it. And then the third thing is this. My ability to survive a storm is directly related to the strength of my foundation. Whatever your life is built upon, 
What is your foundation? My foundation is the values, beliefs, and disciplines my life is built upon. The values, the beliefs, and the disciplines my life has, is built upon. I, I just, I'm not a big basketball fan. I like basketball, but I, when you're five foot six and got a squatty body, you're usually the water boy, all right? You never see the court. You never see the court. So, so I, uh, I, I haven't watched basketball too much, uh, but over the last week or so, late at night, I like those Golden State Warriors, and I, I like that Curry. The, uh, the, I like him, and I like that other kid, that Thompson kid. Anybody been watching that? Six of you. All right. Uh, has anybody been watching Golden State? Did anybody watch Golden State? Who did they play last night? Uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah, with Kevin Durant and, uh, and uh, what's that other? Westbrook. Westbrook. Yeah, see, I, I don't follow them that much. It's not like Tennessee football, the, the real god of athletics, you know. So, uh, but I was watching them, last, and I've been amazed at that Thompson and that Curry. They'll shoot that ball. They'll shoot it way out there and turn around and head the other direction and not even see if it's going in or not. And it always goes in. And I was watching them last night and they were talking. One of them set a, set a record last night for three-pointers. And, and, and the commentator who used to play professional basketball says, it's all, he's trained muscle reaction. He don't even think about it. He gets the ball and he shoots it and he takes off because he knows he's done it so many times. He's developed a discipline in his life of doing it so many times. He knows from the feel of when it leaves its hands whether he's going to make it or not. In other words, he has developed a foundation in his life of discipline. He's done this so many times that he knows it's going in. Likewise, when it comes to our life, if we develop a foundation of prayer and devotion and do it in the good times and do it in the bad times, we know when the difficulties come, we're going to go right back to that discipline. It's not going to shake us. We're not going to get shook up. We're just going to go back to our foundation. Go back to our foundation. So our foundation in life is our beliefs. It's our values. It's literally the disciplines we have built into our life. Go back to Luke chapter 6, verse 47 again. I will show you, this is what Jesus says, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house that digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, notice the storm comes, It stands firm because it is well built. Why? Because of the foundation. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. When our foundation is solid, we will withstand the storms of life. When our foundation is solid and the doctor says... Mm, it doesn't look good. We can withstand the storms of life. When the call comes that one of our family members is in difficulty, we can withstand the storms of life. When we unexpectedly lose a loved one to death or sickness and disease, and it shakes the whole family up, if our foundation is strong, we can withstand the storms of life. If our foundation is solid, Jesus taught it, we can withstand the storms of life. But if our foundation is not built on solid rock, then we will fall when the storms of life come. Now listen, the biblical and Christian foundation in America is under attack today as never before. On this Memorial Day, as we remember the sacrifice that has been paid by our men and women who have laid their lives down for our freedom, We must understand that the Christian foundation that this country was built upon is under attack today as never before. There seems to be concerted effort underway by political forces, academic forces, cultural forces, 
and even religious forces to rid the biblical worldview from the consciousness of our children and our nation. Let's repeat that. There seems to be a concerted effort today underway by political forces, academic forces, cultural forces, and even religious forces to rid the biblical worldview from the consciousness of our children and our nation. In fact, it is more, it is our, in our current cultural climate, in our current cultural climate, it's more intimidating than ever to stand up for biblical truths that are seen as biblically incorrect. It's intimidating. You stand up for things the Bible says and you will be branded as a bigot. You'll be branded as someone who's not in the mainstream of America today. It is very intimidating to stand up for biblical truths. In America, Christians are now being attacked verbally for their faith and beliefs. In other countries, Christians are being persecuted and even killed for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important that we understand that the flashpoint of this controversy is Jesus. It's not religion. You can believe in any other religion you want to believe in and kind consideration will be given to you. That's your right. But just don't mention the name of Jesus. Just don't mention the name of Jesus. It's only the name of Jesus and the belief in Jesus as the Son of God that stirs the hostility of today's present political agenda. It's the name of Jesus. Look at 1 John. The Holy Spirit told us these days would come. 1 John, the epistle of John. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 1. That's one of the little John books toward the end, back there toward Revelation. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. Verse 2. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Son of God, came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist which you heard is coming into the world. Now this was 2,000 years ago. He says it's coming and indeed is already here. So that, that phrase, it's coming, means it's going to increase with rapid intensity. It's already there 2,000 years ago. He says, but the longer life goes, it's going to increase in intensity. But you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory over those people. Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Since the time of Jesus until the present, the spiritual forces of evil have tried to silence the name of Jesus and Jesus in every culture. 2,000 years ago, the apostle John declared that the spiritual force that is working against America today is the spirit of Antichrist. He says it's here and it's going to increase. Likewise today, we do no good. The church is not wrestling with just flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. Listen, listen to me. To boycott and picket and not pray is futile. To boycott and picket. That's okay. But just do that as a Christian alone and not pray is futile because we're fighting a spiritual battle. This is not flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle that has been, the forces are being intensely arrayed against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ here in America. One of the foundational documents which this country, which these men and women who we honor today, which this country is founded upon, is known as the Declaration of Independence. Have you read the Declaration of Independence recently? I encourage you to do so. 
It's a phenomenal document. You know people who wrote this were definitely led by the Spirit of God. Let me read just a few of the paragraphs to you. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their what? With certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to who? The Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions due in, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine what? Providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. The United States of America was birthed from a biblical worldview. It was birthed from a biblical worldview. Yet the biblical worldview is rapidly becoming tarnished and silenced in America today. You say, what do you mean a worldview? What what does that mean, Pastor? A worldview. Each of us think about the world through a particular lens or a filter. This filter or lens whereby you see things and consider things, is considered your worldview. It's how you view the world, through a filter, through a lens. We are told today that America is now in a post-Christian culture. That America is now considered post-Christian. Post meaning past. Past Past-Christian culture. It is a culture that no longer sees things through a biblical or Christian worldview. In fact, most Christians today have a non-Christian worldview. Most Christians today have a non-Christian worldview. Let me list a couple of, a few of the worldviews that many people that go to church and are Christians have fallen in a, a trap to. Worldviews. The filter through which you see things. The lens through which you think, see things. The first one is materialism. A lot of people have a materialism worldview. Materialism is the worldview that all that matters is the physical, the material world. Materialism believes what matters most is money and acquiring of possessions. When believers fall into the trap of materialism, economics overrides everything else. Their money and their ability to get more money determines how they vote, how they act, and how they think. I've heard this dozens and dozens of times over the last 12 to 16 years. I know what they believe in is wrong, but they're going to take care of my retirement, so I'm going to vote for them. What they have done immediately is operated out of a lens of materialism. Materialism. Yet Jesus said this, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Watch out, be your guard, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know what he's saying? Your valuables doesn't determine your value. Your valuables doesn't determine your value. I've... I've, You know, we all need money to live. We all need money to live. We all got to have it. That's just the thing we have to go after. But so many Christians nowadays just remove morality. They move the Bible. They remove the teachings of Jesus because money has become their God. Materialism. And the good people, wonderful people, they're wonderful people. They love Jesus. But now everything, everything they see through their lens is through, how is it going to keep my money? How is it going to make more money? All right? The next worldview is hedonism. Hedonism. Hedonism is the philosophy that whatever feels good must be good. In materialism, money is God. 
With hedonism, the whole goal in life is to be happy, have fun, and be comfortable. And there's a lot of Christians that we've just fallen into this trap. If it's not fun, I ain't going to do it. If you don't make me happy, I can't tell you the number of couples that have been in my, Amanda and I's office and we'll sit down and say, why are you getting a divorce? And no, look, well, he just don't make me happy anymore. He doesn't make me happy. She doesn't make me happy anymore. And they don't, and they're good people. They love God. They're Christians. But they don't realize they have fallen prey to the spirit and worldview of hedonism. We must remember that happiness... Remember that happiness is simply a byproduct of living the purpose you were created for. Happiness is simply the byproduct. When you live for your purpose for which you were created, happiness will follow. A person is not the the goal of making you happy. A job, a company, let me tell you, they can't make you happy. And I'm going to tell you, the government will never make you happy. They might sell you some cigarettes, but they're not going to make you happy. All right. Not going to make you happy. On numerous occasions, I've had husbands and wives in my office who are looking for a justifiable reason to leave their spouse. And the excuse is, he or she just doesn't make me happy anymore. That's their reason for leaving. They fall and pray to hedonism. Listen to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17. Listen to it in the message translation. It says this, you're addicted to thrills. What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. You're addicted to thrills. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. It doesn't make any difference how great your adventure is. Eventually it's going to wear out and you're going to be looking for another adventure. So we've got materialism is a worldview. Hedonism is a worldview. And here's one that Christians are, are falling prey to. Individualism. Individualism. Individualism says, I'm God. It's a me first mentality. America now was built on a form of rugged individualism. Which within proper boundaries can develop things beneficial to humanity. But today that individualism has evolved into a culture of narcissism. America has become narcissistic. I do what I want to do when I want to do it and nobody can tell me not to do it. I do what I want to do when I want to do it and nobody tells me not to do not to do it. Listen. God didn't create you to just live for you. And He didn't create me to live for me. You were created. I was created. We were made for something bigger than just pleasing ourselves. Well, man, I'm an American. I can do what I want to do and nobody can tell me what to do. You see, you've gone over the edge. Listen to what the scripture says. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Out of the New Living Translation. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says this. Don't look out only for your own interest. But take an interest in others too. You you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You know, in, in our culture today, and I watch... Christian TV, and I'm friends with a lot of those guys on TV, and I'm so thankful for all of them. But it's intimidating, I'll be honest with you, it's intimidating to try to, and you're not supposed to, but the old flesh side, well, you try to compete. And it's, very, it's become a very unpopular thing for pastors to emphasize self-denial from their pulpits today. When you have all the religious stars are just telling you how great you can be. It's, it's unpopular to emphasize self-denial today. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27, Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. His disciples. 
Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, not in the church. For I am among you as one who serves. So we have materialism. We have hedonism. We have individualism. And then the one that is sweeping the land. And those of us who are... We've got a few years of age on us. I've heard us say, I've said it and I've heard others say, I can't believe America, there's a, a, a bunch of Americans who would believe like this, but it's the worldview of collectivism. Collectivism. Collectivism is also called socialism. Socialism is an anti-Christian worldview that says government is God. It basically says government should control everything. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with government. Government is a good thing. In fact, it was invented by God. Did you know that? That government invented was invented by God. Let me give you the scriptures for that. Turn over to Romans chapter 13. I can see everybody shouting today on Memorial Day. <laughs> Romans chapter 13... Verse number one, everyone must submit to governing authorities. The Holy Spirit says everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in position of authority have been placed there by God. Whether you like them or not, whether I like them or not. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Remember that, Pastor Gary. Do right, they're not coming after you. Do what is right, and they will honor you. Verse 4, the authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. You got that, Wayne? For they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. I don't like verse 6, but I didn't write it. (laughs) Pay your taxes too. For these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. Isn't that right, Chris Griffith? They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. This was written by a man who spent half his time in jail. Half his time in jail. He didn't carry a rebellious spirit toward those in authority. Listen, politics is the religion of people who don't know God. Politics is the religion of people who don't know God. My heart is grieved when I get around Christians and all they want to talk about is politics. But they don't want to talk about Jesus. They, want to, they don't want to talk about the word. All they want to talk about is politics. Listen, politics is the religion of people who don't know God. We are in the middle of political upheaval in America today. There is nothing wrong with politics and the interest in politics, but politics is not our Savior. If we think a particular po- politician is the answer to America's ills, we're going to be deeply disappointed. Okay? The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that there are three purposes for government. Three purposes. And they are to protect freedom, to ensure justice, and to preserve peace. That's the purposes of government. Jesus explained the limited role of government in the book of Matthew. 
Jesus talked about it. Notice what he said in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse number 17. Matthew chapter 22, verse 17. Now tell us what you think about this. The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. Tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. And notice what he said, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? Verse 19. Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, verse 21. Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Jesus says that I should give my government, my respect, my taxes, and my obedience to the law of the land. Now notice here. Now I know this is running crosswise with some of you. Like I said, it's unpopular sometimes to have a biblical worldview. Notice this. The Bible says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Let me ask you a question. Who is Caesar... In a democracy. Who is Caesar in a democracy? In a democracy, we don't have a king. We don't have a dictator. We don't have a Caesar. In democracy, which America is supposed to be, the voters are Caesar. The power in America does not reside with the judicial branch. Although they're trying to make it that way. The power in America does not reside with the legislative branch. Congress, although they want to make it that way. And the power of America does not reside in the executive branch, which is the White House, although he's tried to make it that way. The power in America resides with the people who elect politicians to office. That's where the power of America... So if... We don't want to give Caesar more money, taxes, then the people need to stand up and change it. Because the people are Caesar. Now today I recognize I'm preaching to people with a dual citizenship. Most of us in here have a dual citizenship. I'm a citizen of America and I'm so thankful for it. I've been to a bunch of other countries. And and, and in the vast majority of the countries that I've been to, all of their dreams is to one day be able to come to America. People just want to be able to come to America. We are the most blessed people in all the earth. Yes, we've got difficulties. Yes, we have troubles. Yes, we have things that might not be going the way we want them to go. Yes, we have injustice. And yes, we have unfairness. And yes, our immorality is running at a higher rate than ever before. But I want you to know it's still the greatest country in the world to live. It's still a country where people, where people are still willing to lay down their lives. It's still a country where men and women are willing to lay down their lives for our freedoms. And today I recognize, though, that I am preaching, teaching a people with dual citizenship. I'm a citizen of America. Most of you are citizens of America. But if you're a Christian, you're also a citizen of heaven. As Christians, our greater loyalty should be to God and not to the government. I know that's not popular. But our greater loyalty is to God and not the government. If there's a difference between God and the government, there is no question which one I'm going to side with. A biblical worldview rebukes any belief that God and government are equally important. A biblical worldview rebukes any belief that believes God and government are equally important. And Christians more and more are starting to see the world through a lens other than the Bible. And because of that that deception we've fallen prey to, our culture is crumbling. We have crises in our schools, controversies in our courts. We have corruption in business, chaos in government, carnality in the church. 
confusion in our families, and conflicts in our personal life. Because we've tried to substitute up something other than Jehovah as God in America. So you've got materialism, you've got hedonism, you've got individualism, you've got collectivism. And then the fifth one is the Christian worldview, the Bible worldview. A biblical worldview is based on the infallible Word of God. When you believe the Bible is true, then you allow it to be the foundation of everything you say and do. When you believe the Bible is true, you allow it to be the foundation of everything you say and do. Now... You know, the Bible doesn't have a health care system. The Bible doesn't explain a health care system. So we can disagree on health care. Good people can disagree on health care. Because the Bible doesn't point it out. Do this, 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 this. The Bible doesn't talk about a defense plan. It doesn't give a system. So you can disagree on how to defend our nation. Good people can do that. There's a lot of things in the Bible that the Bible does not explain or talk about. So you can disagree on those things. But there are a few things that the Bible is emphatic on. And Christians, if you have a Christian worldview, a biblical, you've got to think just like that. And one of them is the sanctity of life. The Bible is emphatic. The sanctity of life tells us that God has a purpose for every unborn baby. If you are a lady here today who's had an abortion, please know we love you and we do not condemn you. In fact, if you're struggling today with guilt or condemnation, we're here to help you and bring you peace. And neither does the Lord condemn you. But as a pastor who sincerely loves his people, I'm continually torn between the need to proclaim truth but never want to do it in a way that brings pain to someone whose past behavior has been less than perfect. And a lot of people say, well, just don't talk about it. And if you don't talk about it, then hedonism takes over. Collectivism takes over. Individualism takes over. Materialism takes over. My past is not perfect either. And I'm going to tell you, if you think my past is not perfect, you ought to hear about Pastor Wayne's. And he's on this platform. He's the reason he got elected here. I did history on every, every applicant, and he was the one that was worse than me. So I didn't want to feel alone on the platform. God has a purpose for every unborn baby. In fact, God planned your life before you were born. God even planned your life before your parents were born. In fact, before God created the earth, He had already thought about you. Look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Verse number 13 says this. I love it in the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says about you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. That's what the psalmist said to the Lord. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. And I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. You know what he's saying? He's saying literally this. There are no accidental parents... I mean, there are accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies. Okay? There are illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate babies. And listen, God is bigger 
than human mistakes. God is bigger than human sin. We are responsible, whether it's popular or unpopular, whether we're ridiculed, criticized, rebuked, made fun of, or called names, we are responsible as Christians who believe in the Word of God to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. The people in our culture least capable of speaking for themselves are the unborn. Every life is precious. Black lives matter. Wife lives matter. Unborn lives matter. So the sanctity of life. The Bible is very explicit. If you have a worldview and it's being challenged today, if you have a biblical worldview, the sanctity of life is what you believe. And then I'll close with this one because I'm getting hungry for hamburgers and hot dogs. And since you're shouting me down so good. You've got a biblical worldview on the sanctity of sex. Now I know I, I saved the best wine to last. I'm just like Jesus. Bob Rainey told his wife this morning, Pat, he said, you know, it's Memorial Day. We, 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 we could probably just sit here on our back deck and pastor will get by without us today. Then he remembered I was teaching on sex, so he wanted to come. <laughs> the Christian, the biblical worldview of sex says sex was God's idea. Sex was God's idea. Sex isn't bad. Sex isn't dirty. Sex isn't wrong. Let me throw this at you. In fact, sex is holy. Glory to God, I believe in being a holy man. (laughs) Preach! Just tell your wife, I'm a holy man tonight. She'll get the idea. The Bible tells us that sex was created by God to bond a husband and a wife together. Now, I'm not a doctor. We have doctors in our congregation. I love them. I'm so honored by their education and what they learn. But I've read what a bunch of doctors have written. All right? So I'm not a doctor. But when a man and a woman have sex together, it releases something called as oxytocin. Oxytocin is widely referred to as the love hormone. Oxytocin has also been dubbed the hug hormone. The cuddle chemical, the moral molecule, and the bliss hormone due to its effects on behavior, including its role in love and in female reproduction, reproductive biological functions in reproduction. Oxytocin is the bonding chemical that binds a husband and wife together. It enhances emotional commitment. When a woman nurses her baby, it releases oxytocin in both the mom and the baby. It's a bonding agent. This is why God created sex for a husband and wife. And also why the Bible informs us that casual sex is sin. When one has casual sex with someone who is not their husband or their wife, it releases oxytocin in you and the partner which you had sex with, which is a bonding element, and that's why people get hurt. Well, we can just have sex. Let's just have sex. We're dating. Let's just have sex. I had a Christian uh, young adult tell me not long ago, I said, yeah, you, y'all going to get married? No, well, probably in a year or so. I said, are y'all sexually active? Well, yeah. I said, well, you shouldn't be doing that. And they said, oh, pastor, that's old fogey. That's old fogey. Christians have casuals. Well, they might. I understand they might, and they do. But that doesn't mean it right. And I know I'm old fogey. Please, please let an old fogey man talk here. 
let an old fogey holy man talk. When we have casual sex with people who are not our lifelong partner, we release bonding. A bonding takes place. It's more than just passing time. It's more than just getting a pleasure, physical thrill. There is something that takes place with the two. A bonding takes place. Let me me show you another scripture. Let me give you another scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Jesus said, he didn't use the word oxytocin. He, used, he said it like this. The Holy Spirit through Paul says this. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 15. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Now I'm not saying that having premarital sex or casual sex with people or that, you're, that everybody does that, does that as a prostitute. Please understand, this is what this scripture says, just for an example. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, or if a man joins himself to someone other than his spouse, he becomes one body with her. For the scripture says, the two are united into one. So if you have a Christian biblical worldview, you understand that your body was created by God for the glory of God and that your body belongs to you and you and I are never to give it away until God brings that life partner into our life. You say, well, I've done that, Pastor, and that's not what what I need to do. If anyone sins, just confess your sins. And you'll be forgiven. You'll be forgiven. Had a young lady came to my office several years ago. And she didn't want her parents to know. But she said to me, Pastor, I want you to know I'm I'm being pressured by the girls at school and, and the last two boyfriends I've had to have sex. And I just want your prayer. I said, well, I'll be happy to pray with you, hon. I said, have you, have you been able to remain pure and, and keep yourself for your spouse? She said, pastor, so far I have. I said, that's wonderful. So Amanda and I prayed for her. And I said, well, what do you tell them when they're putting this pressure on you? She said, pastor, the thing that really disturbs me is my girlfriends are telling me, that I'm stupid for not being sexually active. I said, well, tell me, what do you tell them? I know that's tough. What do you tell them? She says, I don't know. This came to me the other day, and I told one of them, and it seemed to help. I said, what was it? She said, I told her, I can, any day of my life, I can become like you. But you can never become like me again. I say these things to you this morning because as the pastor of a, of a church that's just trying to be a blessing to the community and bring some type of moral boundaries, it's important that we as Christians, knowing these days we're living, that if we're not, going to be, if we're not careful, we're going to be swept away, swept away into the morality of this age. And somebody's got to believe in and stand for righteousness and holiness and biblical worldviews. And you might be outcast and you might be made fun of. And I recognize when I was studying this today that probably after I teach this lesson today, there'll be some people who'll leave and not come back. And I understand that. And I want you to know I love you. I love you. But this is what the Bible says. There's a lot of things we can disagree on because the Bible don't give specifics. But when it comes to the sanctity of life and who you give your body to, the body Bible is very specific. Next time we're going to talk about which restroom do I go into.
You say, well, are you going to talk about this transgender thing? Yeah, you better believe it because you're talking about it. And you know what? If we're not careful, the church can appear to be mean and uncaring and mad and against. Listen, I'm, I'm as compassionate for people who are struggling with gender identity issues as I am with people who are struggling with drug addiction issues. And we're going to love people. We're going to love people. But you need to know because the world will try to tell you that there's nothing wrong to, about being confused about your, your gender identity. The Bible says, tells us exactly who our gender is. So we got to look at it through what the Bible says. We're going to talk about same sex. Sex. And same sex attraction. You know, the Bible speaks against same-sex sex, but it doesn't speak against same-sex attraction. Attraction's not a sin. The action is the sin. Attraction is not a sin. I'm attracted to a lot of things that my righteousness shouldn't be attracted to. I'm attracted. I could eat every day at Farmer's Restaurant three times a day. My, My flesh is attracted to that. I'm attracted to this beautiful blonde right now and I would love to encourage her to, for us to go make holy. But now... <laughs> but we got a picnic to go to. Now's not the time to make holy. Stand with me, would you? Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.